0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chatability. Don, we have another ex-NAMSA colleague joining us.
1: We do. We must not have uh, scared them off too too bad because they <laughs> they keep uh, agreeing to come back and join us on our podcast. So
0: They're at least um, still our friends, and then they come back and join us for our podcast, even though they've left us at NAMSA.
1: That's true. That's true. Maybe they feel that they're in a better place, so they're just trying to, you know... Rub it in our faces and, and be on our podcast and say, see, I can help or,
0: you. Or they're jealous because we have a podcast and they don't.
1: They could be, and they want to be, <laughs> they wanna be podcast worthy. I, hope, I, I don't know, know.
0: Maybe. So so this episode, our friend and ex-NAPESA colleague, Stephanie Taylor, joins us. She's a scientist and biocompatibility expert at Depew Synthes now and has a lot of experience, especially since she left NAPESA, obviously in the biocompatibility, the biological evaluation for reusable devices and how to perform that evaluation.
1: Yep. And, and you know, over the years, you know, since she's left NAMSA, especially, you know, and worked out in industry, you know, it's been a topic that, that we've all discussed from time yeah. to time. So, again, as with most of the things, we say, hey, hold that. We should put that in a podcast. We should
0: put that in a podcast. So there you go. And again, we have happens. another episode. I don't remember where this one started from. We might have been sitting around somewhere enjoying some beverages and we said, Oh, we should do a podcast about this. So today's episode is all about the biological evaluation of reusable devices. So devices that are meant to be reused in the hospitals that have to go through a cleaning and disinfection process. And the challenges with evaluating the biological safety of those devices to meet not only FDA kind of outlandish expectations, but now EU as well with end-of-life testing.
1: Yep. Yep. And and we'll touch on, talk about things like TIR-30, Clause 4.8 of ISO 10993, Part 1, 2018, the FDA's guidance document. And, and in all those discussions, I can't say that we're going to come to a definitive conclusion on what you should do each and every time, as if you can do that with anything related to biocompatibility. But right. but um, well, I we think did not we'll, solve
0: world problems probably. We but did,
1: we did not. We did.
0: We shared some experience. So we hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to learn more about um, these types of validations and reprocessing of reusable devices. You can go to www.namsa.com 2namsacom forward slash reusable. And you can find some more resources there on our website. In the meantime, enjoy today's episode.
2: Welcome to biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring biocompatibility to you. Where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.
0: Welcome everyone to our latest podcast, our latest episode of Biocompatibility. We have another special guest today, Don, another ex-colleague of us at Namsa.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm starting to sense a theme here, but that's what happens, you know.
3: It's because yeah. we're fabulous.
0: The people people leave and we don't. Is that the theme,
3: Don? Well, yeah, that's <laughs> the theme. We get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but hey, I got to say, so I've been gone 15 years now, but I've never really left because I've stayed a customer. So, I mean, I think that says a lot about the business itself. This is that, true. You know, this is you know, true, <laughs> even though we leave and move on to other to the dark side. Hey, you we, said it. We not stick us. around. Yep. So,
0: <laughs> so that voice you all hear that might be different is Stephanie Taylor. Stephanie is joining us for our podcast today. We are going to talk about biocompatibility and reprocessing. So, Steph is uh, Don and I have known her a long time. Steph was with NAMSA a number of years ago and left, and then has had some time with Hollister and Carl Stortz and is now currently at Depew, J&J in the Massachusetts area, but uh, in particular in her her time over the years, she has a real experience with working with the regulatory challenges with biocompatibility and reprocessing devices. So Stephanie, thanks for being willing to join us and thanks to J&J for allowing you to participate in biocompatibility. Are you excited?
3: I'm always excited to talk to you and Don. She's, she's also a good so excited friend. about biocompatibility. Yeah, I'm a little weird that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we all geek out about some interesting little things, and sometimes it's biocompatibility. So we thought what we do today is uh, discuss a little bit some of the challenges and the guidance when it comes to how you test for and/or evaluate biological safety for a reprocessed device. So maybe one of you. I don't know. I don't think I can give an accurate definition of what's considered a reprocessed device. So whoever wants to take that one, maybe somebody can give us some background.
1: Uh, and, you know, and I, I'll say too, I mean, from my perspective, you know, I think the the word reprocessing versus like reusable devices gets mm. kind of miscombined. It can be confusing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So
0: because of servers, is that what you're yes, talking about?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, we're talking, what I'm, like focused on and what comes up most in the area of biocompatibility for me that I think customers struggle with are the like are the literally the reusable devices that go through reprocessing steps and they're intended to be used on multiple patients per the IFU you can use it on X number of patients over the course of the lifetime for X number of years whatever it might be but the concept is is that you know it goes onto the market as a new device. It stays on the market and per the IFU, you have to put it through certain processes in order for it to be used on the next patient. You know what yeah. those processes are, are defined, but it's intentional. I mean, you want to use it over and, over and over again.
3: Yeah. You know, some people confuse this with. Reprocessed single use devices. And that's yeah. not what we're talking Correct. about. So Correct. it's not, you know, something that's that a whole nother episode. To, yeah. That's <laughs> something that was intended to be disposable and we want to have cost savings. So we're going to try to clean it and sterilize it again. No, these are devices that are actually intended to be reused, mostly because they're expensive. So, um, you know, this came up in my life of working in endoscopy. So sure. whenever you have laparoscopic surgery or you have a colonoscopy or you have any procedure, rhinoscopy, anywhere they're basically trying to put a camera into some orifice of your body, that is going to be, as a general rule, reprocessed. So it's going to be cleaned and sterilized for reuse. Reusables are, are what they're called a lot of times because those camera systems are expensive. Now, there are single use and disposable, but those are less common. Um, Those are really just more of a new thing within the last I was going to say that's fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: But recent um, that they're going to be going to be doing that. So when do you think the focus on (laughs) these types of reusable devices became so large? I mean, I think there's been obviously a couple of guidance documents by the FDA, certainly within the last 10 years, but I think the problems with these types of devices go way before that,
3: right? Yeah. So, I mean, I honestly want to say, I think where the attention of the regulators, and I use the term regulators broadly to cover FDA and European, your notified bodies because of infection control. And so there's a lot of things that are going on with that and having to qualify and validate those processes. But then all of a sudden people started putting kind of two and two together because they're they're looking at these materials, especially when you're talking about a flexible endoscope that has polymeric materials. What's happening to these materials over the lifetime of the device is we're attacking them with these cleaners. And you know then the question comes, well, what does that do to the biocompatibility? Because how does that change your leachables, extractables profile and those sorts of things? Are you leaving residues of these cleaners within the device that can, you know, interact with the body? so Again, that's really where it started to come about. Now, I only really entered the reprocessed device portion of the industry in 2012. And I think it was in 2013 that, funny, Sherry, Don, and I are sitting at a table at a conference put on by Amy and the FDA to (laughs) to discuss reprocessing and biocompatibility. And, you know, really, really that question, you know, had really come up that, you know, there were concerns around that and talking about, you know, how we need to approach testing our devices for biocompatibility when it's a reprocessed device. So, you know, how do you put it through the steps without it being burdensome? So that's really where that discussion came up. And,
1: you know, going back over all those years, the, uh, Certainly, like what people have done to try to support biocompatibility for the reprocessed reusable device, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you know, one of our prior guests um, on our podcast, Dave Ferretti. I remember, you know, strategies that he put together years ago. And, and, you know, just as a sign of the times, I think we would all laugh at those strategies today. No offense to Dave, because he wasn't an right. apister, Sure. You know, but, you know... <laughs> but yeah and 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 now ISO 10993 part 1 in clause 4.8 you know it's got that helpful one sentence that says you know that you'll evaluate uh, reusable devices for safety plus there's another clause in the standard that talks about the entire life cycle of the device and if you extend it onto reusable devices as the first patient and the last patient and all the patients in between as your life cycle you kind of get those two parts of the standard that although they don't I, I, they're not the cause for the increased emphasis that Stephanie's talking about. Um, but now I think it's even more apparent because it's sitting right in that standard that if you're right. this type of device, you're kind of, now you have to evaluate safety. And then, you know, you look at the, like the FDA guidance on reprocessed devices, TIR 30, TIR 12, and they all have kind of this, you know, high level concept that the device will be safe. But I think, you know, there's so much of the focus, like Stephanie was saying, on, you know, the making sure that the residues, the soil that might be left behind, that that's out of there and that the there, there's not that type of issue going on. But then there is this, you know, kind of, again, one line statement that it, safety will be maintained as well. But no place that I'm aware of as of yet, not in part one, not in TIR 30, TIR 12 or FDA guidance, does it tell you? the process by which you go to prove safety of this type of device over its lifetime. So,
3: yeah, they don't tell you how they just tell you, you need to do it,
1: which is good yeah. and bad, right? I mean, right. So that it, it creates kind of the wild wild west of biocompatibility yeah. of reusable devices because you could take care of that issue about a hundred different ways and, and have hundred different expectations too, from a regulator potentially. So it's, it's, it's a unique thing. And I made mention that, In terms of biocompatibility, I think this is one of those areas that, you know, there almost needs to be a a technical report, technical specification, something out there that speaks to this topic by itself almost, you know, biocompatibility of reusable devices, you know, like a guidance document, a standard, something like that, that talks about whether it be best practices or just methods that can be used to reach that end because I have seen over the course of. I don't know the the ten or fifteen years, but even in recent time, just some huge expectations put in front of manufacturers to address this little area,
3: but Don, wouldn't you say, you know again, the, it's the scrutiny's been there for a little I mean, they've been asking for it for a little while. but I want to say, really, within the last five to seven years, it's gotten much more to the forefront,
1: yeah, oh, um, yeah, it's yeah, it's,
0: yeah. I think the previous focus was make sure you're getting it clean. Make sure right. we're not contaminating yeah. patients, yep. make sure we're not cross, you know, because that was the big problem. And then they're like, okay, we think we got that under control. Now, how do we know that the biocompatibility is good over the lifetime of the device?
3: And I well, think and that the, Yeah. And that's the other interesting thing is that it's you you talk to different reviewers and you talk to different manufacturers, and they're all doing it a little bit different. Okay. So, you know, I, yeah. come, I came from Carl Schwartz now to Dupu and the way that we're looking at it is, is different. I mean, honestly. There's but, no one way. There's yeah. no right or wrong, really. So it's all, you know, I go back to the statement that my director of regulatory made to me um, when I first came into the actual device manufacturer side of the, of, of the business. And he said, I need you to put me in a defensible position. And that's really uh, ultimately what, you know, what the goal is. The end mm. goal is defensible position. So, you know, it, it, you know, in previous life, we, we took the approach of, well, we'll do 10 cycles of each re- type of reprocessing that the device will come in contact with, and we'll submit that and see what they say. And for the most part, that seemed to be okay with the FDA. You know, the notified bodies now are really pushing for end of life. So they want mm. you, you know, they want your biocompatibility. So you can do your biocompatibility at time zero but then they want to know what's your biocompatibility at one cycle and 300 cycles or 400 cycles or whatever you think the lifetime of your device is. So you have to figure out what the lifetime of your device is.
0: They apparently aren't concerned with least burdensome approach
3: at all. No, I mean, no, no. <laughs> well, that's um,
0: well, I I had... the FDA isn't always either. But that, I mean, that's their code, right? You know. Yeah. We can and, and at least quote I, I mean, it to them.
1: To Stephanie's point, I've had situations where I think almost all of these devices, 99% of them are limited in terms of biocompatibility, you know, less than 24 hours, you know, they're scopes, probes, that sort of thing. So yeah, an hour contact or something like that. But so, so the, like the extent of a single round of biocomp say is like 15,000, but I've been in situations where some companies were, you know, once you had to go through the simulated reprocessing steps and the number of Different durations the regulator wanted evaluated. I mean, they were looking at like 500 dollars $700,000 worth of bio mm. that mm-hmm. they were thinking of doing. I mean, once they factored in cost of devices, cost of the reprocessing, you know, it was insane. But then again, you know, likewise, I know that there are companies out there where the magic number six, Stephanie, you mentioned 10, but I've, you know, they do mm-hmm. testing on a device. Put through six simulated reprocessing cycles, do biocomp, and boom, that's the magic potion that we're looking for but i yeah. I, don't, I don't know that that's justifiable do you, like defensible like you were saying stephanie i'm not sure
3: well i again, you know? I think it's again it's that it's that gray area that we work in that kind of as I say makes Biocompatibility interesting, challenging, and a little bit magical sometimes for those of us who are kind of <laughs> nerds about it
0: um, I would but, never have used that I'm writing that one down Biocompatibility is <laughs> magical
3: but um, you know it's it's taking everything that you know about the device and writing it down and making it make sense and then adding in and I looked at it in this fashion so that you can justify that this device is is safe for use because I you know I'm looking at leachables extractables, I'm looking at, you know, cytotoxicity. It's a, you know, short-term contact device, like actually usually most of the time less than two hours. You know, it's not even 24 hours. So, you know, you're looking at all kinds of interesting different concepts and it creates sort of um, an interesting way to look at it. And you have to create a story. And that's where I say biocompatibility becomes magical or an art is how do you create that story to make it defensible and you know that's when you have to kind of buckle down and and figure out how you're going to tell your story
0: so we've mentioned like there's maybe no right or wrong way i mean obviously wrong would be not doing anything but what are some approaches (laughs) that you all have seen don you mentioned the six so like doing some biological safety at zero doing some at six I remember talking, you mentioned Dave, I remember talking to Dave years ago and saying, well, hey, if we do some characterization at zero, and even if we just monitor our NVR over the time of the reprocessing and then do NVR at 10 and NVR at 20, and, and if we can show that that's going down, then if nothing's coming out, if what's coming out of it's going down, then biological safety maintains stable. And I know that's a very simple way of stating it, but I think there's ways of using characterization and not meaning like you have to repeat all your biocomp tests repeatedly over a period of time. Does right. that,
3: I mean. Yeah, yeah there's, there's really no need to repeat in vivo testing at yep. time zero and time 100, for example. In my experience, we've used the approach of we do in vivo either at zero or, or 10 in the, in, you know, in the case where we were doing for FDA submissions. Um, because they weren't pushing end of life that much at that time, and then for the end of life for the notified body, we would do zero and a hundred or one hundred and fifty cycles, depending on what the physical strength of the device was. So
0: yeah, you would physically in house reprocess it, or would you yes. put take ones from the field? Wow, that's yeah. Fun. So we
3: so we had we well at Carl Schwartz, we actually had the, we had a laboratory where we could reprocess them in-house and that was nice. Right, right.
0: Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Understand.
3: It's a, and but it's still, a, little that's different. a lot of work. It, yeah. But here, you know, again, it's so, but here at J&J or Depucinthes, it's different. We don't have that laboratory in-house. So we actually have to send it to the contract lab and have the contract lab reprocess repro- them. So that's extra charge. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all in what you have to do, but, you know, the notified bodies are really looking for that end of life number. And I know that with the class three neuro device that we were working on, they wanted, they made us put what the end of life was, how many cycles in the IFU and that they could only use it for that many cycles. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so that's something that you want to make sure that that's really where you're aiming for your end of life to be. You want to take that into consideration because they did make us put it into the IFU.
1: And, and Stephanie, like you, you were talking about the, uh, like the materials of construction, because I yeah. mean, some, obviously that can vary, but some of these scopes get a little, you know, they got epoxy holding the lens on the end and then they got, you know, various polymers, and then they got right. some needles along the way. Right. And, and those get a little bit more interesting, but I, I mean, I conceptually like the idea of using characterization extractables like at T equals zero when you have your biocomp at T equals zero maybe, and then you try to prove equivalency over the course of the lifetime. But I, I, di- I will say, too, depending on your composition of your device, it's something where I think you have to be very um, selective in your extraction conditions and vehicles because otherwise you could just, you know, it it'd kind of be the bad science experiment like TOC, you know, total organic carbon to where you just got so much of so much junk that you don't know really what's there and whether it goes up or down over the course of life. but um,
3: Right. Because what you don't, you never want to degrade your device with your solvent that you're testing with. And that's, you know, that's really a huge part of doing chemical characterization in the correct fashion. You have to pick your solvents that you're going to look at very carefully. And, uh, and it was interesting too, because I recently just had a discussion with someone who's like, oh yeah, well I'll use saline extract that I'm like, no, you won't use purified water. Because you don't want to have to deal with, you know, salting it out. I'm like, if you can use purified water, use purified water. So the cleaner the solvent you can use when you're doing characterization, the better it is. But yeah, I mean, we had some polymers that there's no way we could have extracted them in hexane. I mean, they swell in ethanol. So you don't want to be, yeah. So so yeah, you have to be careful.
0: We've been talking about that so much lately that uh, (laughs) I'm ready to be done talking about part 18. But that will not happen for a very, very long oh, time, yeah. I'm sure.
3: Well, well especially it, it, with the new edition just coming out too. So,
0: yeah, that's what we've yeah. been talking about all week. So, I have a question. So, we talked about end of life. Is that really MDR? Like, is that how one of the effects of of MDR on reprocessing?
3: Is oh, yeah, MDR. The, the is, end of life? MDR yeah. is really pushing for so
0: prior to NVR, MDR that really wasn't what notified bodies are were asking for. But because no. of yeah, okay, that's yeah. what I thought.
3: Yeah, so MDR has really kind of changed the game. Now we could switch gears and talk about MDR too, because restricted no, that's substances okay. is the name of that <laughs> game too. So yeah, we
0: we have we probably need an episode about that before yeah. long. I know we do yeah. CMRs and whatever else mm-hmm. is in ten point four point one. Is that right, Don? Did I get the number right?
1: It's somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. somewhere
0: in there. <laughs> so what? Yeah. Else? Anything else we want to cover about reprocessing? Or are we ready to go on to a fun game of? Two truths and a lie. Did you remember, Steph, that you're gonna do two truths and a lie? I did. All right. Don, did you?
1: I've had my two truths and a lie on my desktop <laughs> for like a month now. Waiting. <laughs> we Ooh. have
0: we have rescheduled our recording of this podcast probably five times. So it this has been a long time coming, and but it's it's worth it. We keep rescheduling. We'll reschedule as long as we needed to.
3: Okay, who wants to go first? I think Don should go first. I'll go
1: first. I'll go first. All Age right.
3: before beauty. That's right.
1: Thanks. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'll be a C lister too.
3: I can no, only no, say no. that because I'm because I'm what I think a few months younger than Don. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all, right, all right, Don. All right, here we go. Well, yeah, I think we've talked about some of my truths and some of my lies. I don't know. Uh, anyways, I performed a risk assessment on a coming common disinfectant agent used for a reusable device, only to realize that the agent itself had more hazards than the device it was cleaning. Disinfecting, I guess, (laughs) technically speaking. Okay. Um, I've used an in vivo preclinical test model to address concerns related to the cleaning procedure used for a reusable medical device. I've worked on a reusable device project and evaluated safety, although true end of life for the device was never documented.
0: Gosh, I would think all three of those could be true. Well, they all well, could be true,
1: but you made I said it tough. tough.
0: <laughs> you said what? What did you say?
1: I said all three of them could be true, but I, I started them with "I have used."
0: Oh, okay. You one of them you could have just heard about. Uh, yeah. I'm going with number two's a lie.
1: Two? I th- I'm thinking one. Now I got to remember which order I just looked at them in. Uh, <laughs> two is the in vivo model, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That would be correct. That's the lie. That's the oh, lie. I've, I've, I've never used an in vivo model for this area. Oddly enough, I mean, it, it, but it's plausible. It's
0: plausible. I, yep.
1: I, I, I guess.
3: All right, Steph, uh, you're up next. Okay. Well, mine aren't
1: work related.
3: Mine are silly. So, <laughs> <laughs> I played girls' vars- varsity basketball. I was a tutor for chemistry students and i was almost fired from namsa
0: <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> i don't remember um don you probably know one of them you were around I, that you're closer shoot to that subject lot. maybe
1: <clears um i <clears throat> i'm, I'm going to guess i see that I know the truth or the lie around the Namsel ones. So I'm, I'm saying number say, three's
0: a lie.
1: I'm saying three's a lie. Three's a lie. I was going to say number two's a lie. Hey, you number one's the lie.
3: Oh, you, you should have tall. been a basketball player.
0: You're really tall. I know how judgmental <laughs> so, we. So the so
3: the so the so the girls' basketball team because I'm six foot tall. The girls' basketball team decided they were going to teach me how to play basketball. So they had me out on the court for about twenty minutes shooting balls. And they gave up because my hand eye coordination <laughs> is so bad. This is why I do not play
1: sports. Well, this is why that's I've that's never seen lot. you catch a ball because I was going to say, you, we've you never know better. You know exactly.
3: You know exactly. Better. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. Yes. All right. So
0: I got three bio compy kind of related ones. So I was once a complete hour late to deliver a training in Puerto Rico because I didn't have the right time zone. Uh, NAMSA creates 60,000 paraffin slides a year, and I've had numerous, numerous conversations about CYTO basically being useless.
1: Uh, I I know the lie. Steph, you want to take a guess? I'm going to guess the paraffin slides. I was going to guess that you were an hour late to the training in Puerto Rico because I don't remember you being late.
0: Well, Steph is correct. We do many, many more. We do many, many more than 60,000 a year. And I was late, but it wasn't an NTS. It was when I was still in sales and I was doing just a little mini training all by myself. And they called me and I was still in my hotel. They're like, where are you? I'm like, I'm not, it's not for another hour. And they're like, nope, it's time now because I didn't know they didn't change their clocks back. So I was late for my very first appointment with that customer.
3: Although I do remember when you went to the wrong address, when you were visiting some colleagues in California.
0: (laughs) Now that was not my fault, but I no, think that was a, not your fault, but that I, was funny. It was funny. Uh, mm-hmm. It did not help with my, um, intellectual quotient with your colleague. That's for nope. sure. Nope. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> you all right, y'all. Well, it's been a ton of fun. Thank you, Steph for joining us. Thank you for your insight. And, uh, it's always fun and, uh, come back and join us some other time too.
3: Oh, for sure. Thanks for having me. Maybe, maybe, right. uh, Maybe we'll have some other challenging things to talk about as the uh, as my time in the orthopedics industry increases. I'm sure we will. Sure.
0: I'd like to maybe 19, maybe 19227. I don't know if you have, if you worked with 19227 yet.
3: Not yet, but I'm sure it's coming.
0: Yeah. So anyway, thanks everybody. Don, thanks for your time again, as always. No problem. And we'll catch you all in the next episode. All
1: right. Take
3: care.
0: Thanks.
2: Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com/resources/podcast.